Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. So, in your Bibles, if you have your Bible or your digital device, if you have a digital device this morning, it's going to be easier for you. Jonah chapter 3. Now, if you don't know where Jonah is, come on in, the water's fine. I would tell you where it is. But it's around the book of Micah and Obadiah, and that's not going to help you any. So just go ahead and look in the uh, table of contents in the front of your Bible. Find what page Jonah is on and go to Jonah chapter 3. Because honestly, even if you kind of know where it is, mine only takes up two pages in my Bible, and uh, it's hard to find. So Jonah chapter 3. So I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled The Mission. We're looking, beginning 2017, what our mission is for our church. What has God called us here to do? And so we looked at uh, the one church. Um, the, the first uh, sermon I preached was called The Mission. And we looked at, you know, we're going to be, we talked about one matters. We're going to be one church with one mission trying to reach 1% and uh, one person at a time. Now, you'll be interested in no church. There are other churches in our area who have adopted our 1% uh, idea. And so uh, after we presented ours, and I'm only telling you that because I want you to know we had the idea first here at Peavine, and so we're excited. But there are plenty of percentages to go around because we need everybody. If we reach 1%, that's still 99% that need to be reached, right, with the gospel. So we celebrate their 1% uh, goal. And so that's our goal, one church, one mission, 1%, one person at a time. That would be 4,970 people. And so as we do that, we're talking about now some things we like to focus on here at our church. You see them around out in the foyer in different places, uh, some things we like to focus on. So last week, I talked about how we are Sunday focused. Sundays matter, right? Like we still come here to check Sunday off the list. We come here with a purpose. And so so we want you to understand that we're going to put a lot of energy into Sunday morning. We're going to put a lot of resources into Sunday morning. We're going to do a lot of things on Sunday morning. We're always trying to make Sunday mornings uh, better because Sundays matter. And here's what we want you to do. We want you to go out into your corner of Peavine City, and we want you to uh, uh, invite people to Sunday morning. We're always going to preach the gospel. We're always going to give some kind of invitation. And so we want you to go out wherever your corner is. It'll be where you work. It'll be where you play. It'll be where you eat. It'll be where you live. It'll be where you go to the rec department. It'll, whatever it is, there's all kinds of areas. It'll be, your, uh, it'll be your school. We want you to go out. We want you to reach your corner for the gospel and invite people to church on Sundays. And some of you can take a lost person and you can lead them to faith in Christ right there. Some of you, that makes you a nervous wreck. So here's what you can do. You can invite them to church, and we're going to preach the gospel here on Sundays. Anyway, last week's sermon, Sundays Matter. Second thing that I want to talk about today, and you're going to see it in your devotion this week as you read it. Not only do Sundays matter, today's sermon I want to preach on this, cities matter. Because here's what we like to say around here. Uh, that we're going to be city-focused because it's not about filling a building It's about reaching a city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cities matter. So we have Peavine City. Again, if you're new to us, you're a guest. Peavine City is all made up. It's not a real thing. It's uh, what is a real thing to us. 
but it's a 20-mile radius from where I stand right now. There's a, almost 500,000 people that live in Peavine City. It encompasses four or five counties, and that's our mission field. We're going to go out. We're going to do our best to reach Peavine City with the gospel. So when you hear me talk about a city today, I'm specifically talking about Peavine City. Now, we like to think that where we live, we are in the country, right? But really, you're not in the country. As a matter of fact, there are fewer and fewer people who are living in the country. You say, well, preacher, how do I know if I live in the country or if I live in the city? Well, let me give you an example of living in the country. This is an article I ran across this week in the Eagle newspaper in Bryan, Texas. Go ahead and put my chicken up on the screen. This is a Texas chicken who had its own obituary in the newspaper. Her name was Big Mama. It's worth 30 seconds for me to read you her obituary. It is with sadness that we report the passing of our all-time favorite chicken, Big Mama. Not many chickens deserve an obituary, but she does. Big Mama came into our lives in September 2013. A friend told us about a chicken who had been spayed, raised alone in a Houston apartment, and then taken to a veterinarian to be euthanized after family grew tired of it. Now, when I was a kid, we didn't euthanize our chickens when we grew tired of them. We served them on Sunday afternoons, right? The vet was a graduate of Texas A&M College of Veterinary Medicine. Instead of euthanizing her, had the owner relinquish the rights so Big Mama could be adopted. An email was sent to the vet school asking for help in rehoming a spayed chicken who had spent its life indoors. At that point, Big Mama didn't know what it was like living outdoors or being around other chickens. In fact, our first glimpse of Big Mama was a grainy photo showing a skinny indoor chicken looking at herself in a mirror. We were hooked instantly. Did we want to give Big Mama a second chance at life? Absolutely. So we drove to Houston, smuggled her into our hotel, which makes you feel real good about staying in hotels in Houston, where we were staying to watch a Houston Nationals game with extended family. Big Mama joined us at College Station shortly thereafter and soon discovered how beautiful life could be walking in the grass, being a member of a flock, and having 24-7 love again. We ate our chickens. I'm so confused. Big Mama... Flourished in her new life, growing into the beautiful Rhode Island red chicken we knew she could be. We will miss her very much. Thank you, Big Mama, for being such a special part of our life. She is survived by her flock. Bubbles, Runt, Mrs. S, Funky, Lucky, and Blondie. I have that down as an example of country living, but I'm pretty sure those are some city folks who found a chicken along the way. The fact is, we're all becoming city folks to some degree. If you look at the cities around the world, there are 2,896 cities with a population of over 150,000. There are 1,063 cities with a population of over 500,000. There are 457 cities with a population of over a million. New York has 20 million people in it. Los Angeles, 13. Chicago, 10. Dallas and Houston both have 7 million people. The largest city in the world is Tokyo with 33 million people in the city. You say, well, those are the big ones. What are the smallest ones? Did you know the world's smallest city is also the world's smallest country as well? Vatican City is the smallest city and country in the world. Official city. 
It is 0.17 square miles big, and uh, the, it's considered to be the smallest city by population size as well as by area. It only has 800 people living in it, only about 400 are citizens, and most of those don't even live in Vatican City. So you have huge cities, you have small cities, but the fact is we're living in cities. 80% of the U.S. population lives in what the government defines as a city or urban area. Now you say, how can that be? Well, according to the Census Bureau, a place is urban if it's big, modest, or even a small collection of people living near each other. That includes Houston with 7 million people. It includes Bellevue, Iowa with 2,500 people. Now, I'm only telling you all that today to say that people are moving, this generation is moving to where other people are, to the city. We have less farms than we've ever had. We have less acreage owned per person than we've ever had. And we are moving to the cities. And I tell you that to tell you this. God cares about the country. But God cares about the cities. And he made that plain to a prophet named Jonah in Jonah chapter 3. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Jonah chapter 3. Verse number one, the Bible says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach, it to the, preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king of the nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let a man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Thank you. You may be seated. So some of you are familiar with the book of Jonah. Some of you are not, uh, not. Let me catch you up just for a moment on the book of Jonah. Jonah, it starts off in chapter 1, is apparently a prophet of God. And God calls Jonah to go to a very large city in that day called Nineveh. Now, here's what you need to know about Nineveh. It was a wicked city. And the Lord wants Jonah to go to this wicked city called Nineveh and deliver a message. Now, we would call the message that Jonah was delivering that day. In today's day, knowing that Christ has died on the cross, we would call it the gospel today. But Jonah went and delivered the message that, that God wanted to deliver, and that is you need to get your heart right with God. And so Jonah decides in chapter 1 that he does not want to do that. So for whatever reason, and we have speculated over the years what the reasons are. We'll, we'll see what maybe some of the reasons are in, 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 at, by the end of the sermon. But for whatever reason, Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh. He runs the other way, and he gets on a ship and takes off for another place. And he thinks he's going to run from God. But let me say something to you. Whenever you think you can run from God, know this, God is always watching. God is watching Jonah go to the wrong direction. 
And so Jonah gets on this ship and a huge storm comes up and they discover that the cause for the storm that's about to sink the ship is God's judgment on Jonah. And so they go to Jonah and they say, Jonah, what are we going to do? God's judging you and we're all going to die. And Jonah said, well, boys, here's the truth. The only way this sea is going to come is if you throw me overboard and get me off this ship. And the sailors tried their best not to do that, but the ship was about to go down, and it finally came to Jonah, and they said, Jonah, buddy, it was your idea, so over you go. And they tossed him over the ship, and immediately when they did, the seas calmed down. Well, that's not the end of the story, as many of you may know, because the Bible says that a great big fish, some translations called a whale, either way is a great big fish or a whale, came and swallowed Jonah whole. You know, you know, you know what Jonah ought to be thankful for? That the fish didn't chew, right? Because it went down whole. And so Jonah went down whole into the belly of the whale. And uh, oddly enough, while Jonah is in the belly of a whale, he decided to do some soul searching, right? Like if you're going to do some soul searching, I would surmise that sitting in the belly of the whale would be a good place to do it. And so Jonah began to do some soul searching. And while he was in the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, the Bible said, Jonah repented and got his heart right with God. And so God released him from the belly of the whale. It's interesting to see the language that God uses to release Jonah. The Bible says he vomited him on dry land. So it's almost like God said, I know your heart's right with you, but just let me remind you, you've been in a whale for three days, and he's going to vomit you on dry land. So that's what he did. Jonah got vomited up on dry land, and that's where we pick up the story in chapter number three. And in chapter number three, the Bible says that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. It comes to him again, and he says, go and preach the message. The one God gave you, go and preach that to the city of Nineveh. So in, in verse number three, Jonah got up, and he went the right direction, and the Bible tells us immediately that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Now, we know about Nineveh outside the Bible. It was the oldest and most populated city of the ancient Assyrian Empire. It was located on the Tigris River, and it would be considered Mosul, Iraq today. It is described as an immense city, three days' journey, and if you were to walk around it, containing more than 120,000 children, and that uh, uh, um, uh, we estimate approximately 600,000 people altogether. They worship the ancient god called Dagon and his female counterpart, Nancy. He was a fish and she was a fish. And that's who they worship. And I find that very interesting. That the guy who got vomited up by a fish now has to go to a city smelling like one and they worship a fish. So they were probably paying attention to his sermon. And so his message that he was preaching in verse number four was this. 40 days and God is going to destroy Nineveh. An amazing thing happens in verse number five. The people of Nineveh believed the message that the prophet preached. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth, a sign of humility and repentance. Even the king himself got involved in the act, and he sent out a decree to everyone that said, every man and beast, every human being and beast should fast, no food, no water. He said, we all ought to repent of our wickedness and pray to God that he would spare our lives. We ought to turn away from every evil thing we've ever done and just beg God to spare our city, perhaps. And so while Jonah's preaching destruction, God looks down and sees their repentance, and he heard their prayers. 
closing part of chapter 3, God held back his wrath and did not destroy the city, and the whole city was saved. Now, this is the story of an entire city repenting and coming to God. Interestingly enough, it's a city about the same size as Pevine City. Now, when you read throughout the Bibles, Bible, you'll see God's always concerned about the cities. Where I almost went today, you'll see it later on, was where Jesus went and wept over Jerusalem. Now, God didn't care about the structures. God cares about the people who were in the city. God himself is city-focused. God himself is concerned about the cities. So let me take this idea of God sparing Nineveh. Let me just take the thought, knowing that Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and let me make three statements about our mission being city-focused. Number one is this. You'll hear me say this statement of lot. You've heard me say it before, and you're going to hear me say it again, but here it is. Number one, it's not about who's here. It's about who's not Sometimes we get the idea that if the building is full, our job is done. But the fact is, if that were true, we'd just get the smallest church building we could find, fill it up, and bask in our spiritual success. I mean, if, if, if filling up a building was God's idea of success, why in the world do we keep putting out chairs in this building in the odd corner some of you are sitting in today? We'd just get the smallest building we could find. We'd put as few chairs as we could get in it, and we would say our job is done. But God has never measured success in the spiritual realm, get this, by who's in the fold, but God measures it by who is not in the fold. Let me give you an example. You remember the New Testament when Jesus was speaking to his disciples? He was speaking to a group of people who were already in the kingdom, and here's what he said in John 4. He said, You say there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are already white to harvest. Here is Jesus with thousands of followers around him. And he's telling his disciples, hey, it's not about the ones who are already in. It's about the ones who are not in yet. Jesus didn't bask in the ones that had come to faith in Christ. He was concerned with those who had not. Listen, we can count the saints when we get to heaven. But now it's time to consider the lost. If we're not busy, we can get so busy counting what we have, we forget to count what we don't have. And when you start counting what you have, you appear full. But when you start counting what you don't have, there is still a job to do. When I was a little boy, we had a, uh, we'd grow a good-sized garden, a big garden. Now, we didn't live on a farm, but it felt like a farm when you're an eight-year-old boy. But it's just a, it's just a, about an acre and a half garden or so that my daddy would plant, and he planted it with a hoe, a tiller, and an eight- or nine-year-old boy. And the worst thing that I hated, I've maybe told you this before, but I hated it. I hated picking beans, green beans. Dad would plant rows and rows of green beans, and I didn't even like green beans. I don't know why we planted so many of them, and I, I could have cared less, but Dad would get me up early in the mornings. While there was still a fog over the garden and dew on the ground, Dad would get me up and he'd give me a five-gallon bucket. And he'd say, here, boy, here's that bucket. Go pick beans. I would labor. I'd sweat. I'd fight off the bugs, snakes, heat, sun. I'm pretty sure it was illegal what he was making me do. If there was a 1-800-garden-child-abuse number, I would have called it in the day. I'd work as hard as I could. I wanted to play. I'd work as hard as I could. 
I'd fill that bucket up with green beans. I didn't pack it down or anything. I'd just pellet it loosely, gather in there, throw as many leaves in there as I could. I'd carry that bucket. I'd walk back up to the house. I'd set it on the, on the carport, and I would say, well, Daddy, I'm done. They'd say, what do you mean you're done, boy? I said, my, my bucket's full. My daddy would take that bucket and he'd take a big giant plastic bag. He would empty that bucket into the plastic bag. He'd hand me the bucket back. And here's what he would say to me. He said, son, your job isn't to fill the bucket. Your job is to get all the beans out of the garden. And I'm afraid sometimes we think like I did as a little boy. That if our bucket gets done, that the job is full, but that's never the case because our job is to keep going after the souls of men, women, boys, and girls who still need Christ. It is not about the ones who are here. It is about the ones who are here. And look, every Sunday, I don't know that I still have my bulletin in here. I'm not sure we ought not to change because every Sunday we put how many people are in church. What I think we ought to do is put how many people are in church and how many people who weren't in church on that day. Because they're still uh, in Peavine City. Even if you add it up, look, we're, about as, we're, we're just about as large as any church. We're probably the second largest church in Peavine City, maybe third, somewhere along the way. If you add up everybody in church and every church around today, it's not 10,000 people in evangelical churches. There's still 450 plus thousand people. And it's great when we can celebrate our salvation. Look, we come to church on Sundays. It's a pep rally. We ought to celebrate the fact that Christ is in our lives and we're going to heaven. Somebody say amen right there. But there are thousands and tens of thousands of people around us this morning if they were to die would spend eternity in a place called hell. And as long as heaven and hell are realities, it's not about who's here. It's about who's not here. The second thing we learn from this passage, not only is it about who's here, and not only is it not about who's here, but who's not here, but number two, we learn this. We have a message to deliver, not just a message to hear. It's easy to get the idea that church is the place to come and just hear a message or sermon or a lesson. By the way, that has its place. It's definitely part of the Christian life. You need preaching. I need preaching. We all need preaching. We all need to hear the word of God. But listen to me. Church is not just a place for us to come and hear sermons. Church is a place for us to come to get fueled up so we can go out into the highways and hedges and deliver a message. You say, Preacher, I am not a preacher. I am not one of your kind. I don't preach sermons. I'm not saying that you do. I'm not saying you have to do. But we've got to redefine the term missionary. Missionary is not somebody who quits their job, goes overseas into the jungles of Africa. You are a missionary right where God has placed you. And oftentimes I'll have somebody say, Preacher, pray for me. I work around all lost people. Man, good for you. You're the light in the darkness. I know sometimes you think, yeah, but I'd like to work around Christians. I'm telling you, it's not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) Right? I mean, 
Every now and then, I'd just like to have a good old boy who knew he was lost, right? I mean, so, so I'm just telling you, you are a missionary right where you are, and if you are a missionary right where you are and you are, you have a message to deliver. You have a thus saith the Lord message to deliver. And can I say to you, you're here today to hear sermons from God, that's true. But Pevine, we have been strategically placed here to deliver a message from the Lord. It is the gospel message we have been assigned to deliver. And God has us all right here together as a body of Christ, so that we can deliver the gospel message to Peavine City. Because once you've heard and received the message, surely you can't help but want to tell others the same message. Hey, do you remember, let me take you back if you're my age. I'll be 50 in a few months and, and still feel 20, but uh, I'm not. And, and You remember back when you used to get married, get pregnant, and have a baby, and nobody cared? Do you remember those days? Kind of pre-social media. Uh, nowadays it's all complicated. And I'm not against all this. I'm, I'm for all this. But nowadays you have to have videographers and photographers when a guy uh, asks a girl to marry him. They got to be in the bushes somewhere. Then you have to have an engagement party. Then you can't just tell somebody, oh, we're expecting a baby. You got to have videographers and you got to get created. Then you have to have a gender reveal. It took me forever. I thought a gender reveal had something to do with a transgender person who had had a surgery. Took me forever to figure out what a gender reveal was. It's like come out of surgery. Guess what I am? I didn't know. I didn't know. It was very confusing to me. I was very confused. And so, but I mean, I like some of this stuff. I, I like watching this. As a matter of fact, um, I, I like it. This, these young couples, they're all creative about stuff. And I like some of it. As a matter of fact, I brought some of my favorite um, uh, uh, Pregnancy announcements I want to show you today. For example, here, here's one. Uh, coffee, tea, and milk. Get it over there, baby bottle. That's cute. That's cute. Here, here's another one. Oldest, youngest is scratched out, and she's the middle child now. You know, that's, that's cute. Here's one, two, three, help. <laughs> I got a third child on the way. All right, all right. So here's number four. I love this one. Let me read it to you. It says eviction notice. Please note that you are required to vacate the premises within 27 weeks as the new tenant is expected to move in on March 10th. I love that. I love that. And then finally, this is my favorite one. On the left, we're expecting she's hugging the uh, can with twins and he's hugging the can on the other side. I love that. I love that. I, 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 look, we go to that extreme because we love to deliver happy messages. But can I say to you that Christians have the best message in the world to deliver. The church has the best message in the world to deliver. You are where you are so that you can deliver the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have a corner in the city. You have a street in the city. You have a sign in the city. You have a place to deliver the message of God. And we've got to deliver the message to Peavine City. And we can't get distracted in the process. We can't get discouraged in the process. We can't get disorganized in the process. With laser-like focus, we have to carry the message message of the gospel to the city and you have to carry it to your corner because we have a message to deliver not just a message to hear and then number three the reason we're city focused is God wants the city to turn not burn now I can explain that the whole reason that God did what he did was 
and by that I mean he called Jonah to preach the gospel to Nineveh. Jonah rebelled. He sent a whale to swallow him up and vomit him back towards Nineveh. The whole reason God gave Jonah a message to deliver, because he wanted the city to repent and turn to God. Does anybody remember what God's previous method of destroying and bringing judgment on cities was? Well, you just have to turn back in your Bible. Read about Sodom and Gomorrah. When God got tired of the wickedness of a city, he generally rained fire and brimstone down upon it. And so God sends Jonah with a message, and he said, God's going to destroy Nineveh. And they knew what that meant. They knew God would somehow, some way, rain fire and brimstone down upon them and burn the city to the ground. And so God sent Jonah on a trip so that a whole city full of people and children would have the opportunity to turn, to get their hearts right with God and avoid the wrath and judgment of God. And so look back in chapter 3 and look at how many times, look at verse number 8. Look how many times the word turn is used. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw the works that they had turned from their evil way. They said, we've got to turn or God will burn it down. And God saw that they had turned and God turned from his evil way. And I want to tell you this morning, we have this tendency to look around and the, at the culture we live in. And can we say that the world is messed up? Can I get an Amen. Hey, if you're in the overflow, give me an amen this morning, right? Uh, the world is messed up. And we, we, let me tell you what we do as Christians. We are so offended by the sin we see around us. We are so offended by the vice that we see around us. We are so offended by the disrespect for God, by the immorality, by the hurt and pain we see around us that we start to almost wish punishment on the people who are acting that way. That's not new. Look back in your Bibles at chapter 4 in Jonah. Because you almost wish the story had ended at chapter 3. Because look at chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. What is he angry about? He's angry that the city turned and God didn't burn it down. So Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord. Was this not what I said? Now we find out why Jonah ran the other way. Was this not what I said while I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Hey, can you say glory right there? Amen. He's got the right message. He's got the wrong attitude. Verse number three, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what had become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, a plant, 
that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm, and so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It's better for me to die than to live. And then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it right for me to be angry even to death? It is right, he said. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, that's children, much livestock. Jonah is so offended as a man of God by the wickedness of Nineveh that Jonah takes a snack up on the hillside and he wants a front row seat to watching God burn the city down. And when God didn't do it, Jonah's angry. I want to tell you that tends to kind of be our mentality sometimes. And I'm not blaming us. We see the sin, we see the vice, we see the hurt, we see the pain that's caused. and We get angry about it. But our anger is different than God's anger. God's angry because the world doesn't know Christ. Not just over their sin. And when God sees a city full of corruption, God sees thousands of people who still need to be saved. And we have this habit of preaching against the darkness more than we try to push back the darkness with the gospel. We complain about the way the world is without changing the way the world is. Close your Bibles. I'm through in a minute. Weather's been crazy, right? It's been, so I told you I was on six planes, two rental cars, three cities this past week. I know how to pack. And so I brought warm clothes and cold clothes and never did dress correctly and couldn't get it right. And it's that way now. You have to check the temperature before you go to bed at night, right? Like it's been 65 during the day, and if you're me, that's air conditioning. But then it may drop down to 40 in the middle of the night, but I'm not quite sure what that is when it's going down from 65. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and you didn't get the heat turned on in the middle of the night? And you wake up 2, 3 a.m., and it's bitterly cold in the house, bitterly. But you're laying in bed under covers and you can feel the freezing temperature outside the covers. And common sense dictates that you get up and do what? Turn the heat on. But your brain's not properly functioning normally about 2 a.m. And what do you do about half the time? You lay in bed and think about how miserably cold it is. Right? Like, because here's what you've done. You know, if you got your wife, husband, you, you've, you've, you've dug out a little warm spot that makes it almost tolerable for you. And your brain just says, just stay here. And I want to tell you, say to you sometimes that that's the way we do the gospel. Because we dig out our little warm spot in the world, our little safe church spot. Our little safe, sin-free spot, our, our little safe 
Christian spot. And man, we're complaining about all the cold around us. But, but, the world around us is dying and going to hell. And I can complain about that. I can get out from my safe spot and deliver the word of God, the message God has given me. Because I want to tell you, God wants the city to turn, not burn. And that's why we're city focused. It's not about who's here and who's not here. It's not about who's here, it's about who's not here. It's not just about coming to hear a message, it's we have a message to go out and tell. And God wants us to tell the message because, listen, can I just be honest, can I be blunt? If they don't get saved, they'll die and go to spend eternity in a place called hell, far from God. How can we be doing anything else? How can anything else be our focus? Some of us have been saved so long, we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. And so, if it's your son or your daughter, do you want them to hear the message? If it's your mom or your dad, do you want them to hear the message? If it's your brother, your sister, if it's your best friend, if it's your neighbor, if it's your coworker, God's placed you there in that part of Peabine City so you can reach them with the gospel. You may be here today, you're not a Christian, you're not saved. You've heard me talk a lot about that, and I preach primarily to the church. I know that, but here's what I do know is that if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, listen, listen to our hearts. Everything we do around here, we do it for you because we want you to spend eternity in a place called heaven with Christ and the rest of us. And today, you can do that today. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner, can't save yourself. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And C, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. You can't save yourself. Jesus died so you could be saved. And all you have to ask him to do is save you. So will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.